0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it?
2: It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I
1: think it is. Well, good morning again, Sharon.
2: How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing
1: well, doing well up in Asheville, North Carolina. It was a brisk fifty-one degrees this morning.
2: Oh, it feels divine outside, and it's so beautiful.
1: Fall is upon us. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Oh, you and me both. I really but am. But it's so exciting to be at an in-person meeting. You just I cannot. I, well, I know you can I appreciate can it. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's great. I looked in the room this morning; it was filled up. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously social distance. Yeah. But 350 CRNAs, it's, it's and awesome And SRNAs sold
2: yeah. out. And tonight is the pack event. Yeah. I'm so exciting. gonna be
1: fun. Yeah. It'll be fun. I
2: think you should buy me something at the silent auction.
1: Hey, I bought you mine. I bought that bottle of sorry, Oh, sorry. You know. For Nancy Marie. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I think we got another good one lined up this morning in our historical series. And obviously, we have our friends mm-hmm. with us. Sandy Ullett, Nancy Marie. You guys are becoming staples for us. I
3: know it's good to be back. Good it's to good. be in Asheville, it's and as Sharon said, to see everybody again, yep. even though we are masked most <laughs> of are the We are masked. Time.
1: That's right. But you know,
3: An- anesthetists can always identify people by their eyes. Yes, That's and John Gard used to say, "Look at the eyes. <laughs> you can read to the soul by looking at the eyes." You know, uh, and it's certainly true.
1: I hadn't gotten good at picking people up yet from just seeing them here <laughs> up, but you know, we're all going to be. That sounded
2: at weird. End. Picking people up. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: That did sound that It that,
2: did sound weird. Uh, you
1: know, picking up identities. Yes. How about that that Recognizing
2: people. There you go. That's there what you go. you're trying you're to You're always say. here to help me, Sharon. Yeah, I, I know. appreciate it. I'm here to help. I'm from the government. <laughs> so I work for the ASA. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah. Always here to help, especially <laughs> CRNAs. Yeah, um, absolutely. Or maybe they're here to help AS. I don't know. <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up. It's time to move on. All right. Well, you know, Sharon, over a number of decades now, there's been many, many, many mm-hmm. quality of studies based mm-hmm. on anesthesia outcomes, you know, provider models published, and, you know, in some cases, they seem to be politically motivated as to what the oh, studies show. Without showed. a doubt. Oh, my. <laughs> or what f- the special interest might want it to show. Some
4: are based on nothing. There
1: you go. <laughs> well, right. we're going to get to the bottom of that today, and so we welcome you to to summarize some of the studies, point out some of the misstatements and outcomes and highlight other things that we know regarding some of the outcomes uh, of providers at this time. So, Nancy, why don't you uh, kick us off and kind of give us an overview of, you know, why these studies were important and maybe some of the overall findings.
4: Okay. Well, since 1969, when the Beckhold study came out, numerous quality of care studies have been published, evaluating outcomes based upon anesthesia provider. So while some studies were flawed regarding research methods and findings, they have been used as ammunition by the ASA and the AANA to promote political agendas. It should be noted that no studies to date that have addressed anesthesia care outcomes have found a significant difference in outcome based on whether the anesthesia provider is a CRNA or an anesthesiologist. What has been found is that the vast majority of anesthesia-related accidents have nothing to do with the level of education, but rather lack of attention to monitoring the patient. Mm.
3: And that gets back, you know, where they've published many, many times, uh, starting in Europe, the thing about ANTS, anesthesia non-technical skills, Mm -hmm. as really the basis for when we really get in trouble and it's things like distraction. Mm-hmm. It's lack of vigilance. And I think Gene Blumenwright summarized it best, and he said, I heard him say it many times, and for the people that may not know Gene, he was our legal counsel for the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists for 20 some years, yes. I think 23, 26 years. He, he was a Harvard graduate, uh, very bright guy. But he said anesthesia is unique, and it seems to be an area where beyond a certain level outcome is only minimally affected by medical knowledge but greatly affected by factors such as attention Mm -hmm. and concentration and organization and the ability to function as part of a team and when you look back on it and you really do a lot of studies on where we find ourselves having mishaps it really relates to that more than it does. It's not bad nurses or anesthesiologists that get in trouble. It's good nurses and good anesthesiologists with a temporary lapse in vigilance mm-hmm. that causes many of these accidents. So we can continue to research all this, but I think that's what we're going to find uh, yeah. over and over again.
2: Yeah. So, Sandy, what are some of the events in the nineteen eighties that may have prompted? some of these studies and talk about the findings of each of the studies that occurred in that time frame.
3: Okay, some of the earlier studies regarding outcome according to provider type were published in the late 1970s, 1980s. And if you think back of what was going on at that time, it was during a time where ANA set out to explore The possibility of direct reimbursement for CRNAs. And of course, our first attempt was not successful. Mm -hmm. It was a Talmadge letter and uh, it was a bomb. I mean, it just really failed. But it was later, as we've talked about, between 1983 and 1989, when the federal government changed many of their rules and criteria, that we found ourselves as a specialty without a path for any reimbursement regardless of our practice setting so in the early 80s you know we moved toward direct reimbursement and we did a whole podcast on that so it seems that a lot of these studies what our competitor and you know there's two major providers Mm -hmm. of anesthesia the nurse anesthetist and the physician anesthesiologist and or maybe I should say the nurse the yeah, I mean. Physician no, anesthesia. It's hard, hard. <laughs> to, I know. Down, I still, well, I still <laughs> introduce myself <laughs> but, as your nurse But, but anyway, um, having said that, we were beginning to walk all sacred grounds, particularly when we went for the pocketbook, uh, mm. the first group of nurses to be reimbursed under Part B Medicare. So, you know, put yourself in the other person's sure. shoes. What they needed and what they still need today is a study that definitely shows there is a difference in the outcome. I mean, why would they go to school 12 years versus right. our seven years if they aren't better? And now? Eight you years, know, it, it just seems to make sense. Maybe it takes them longer to learn. Oh, <laughs> Maybe it takes them longer to learn. But none <laughs> of the studies show that. So, you know, I want to talk about the forest study. And it, it was published around the 1980s. And it looked at 16 hospitals, well over 8,000 cases, and 15 surgical procedures. And this was really research between 1973 and 1974. But... What it showed, as did all the others, no significant difference in outcome between the primary sources of uh, anesthesia be the physician anesthesiologist or the nurse anesthetist or nurse anesthesiologist. And what was funny in this study, and so true, Forrest reported it is surprising that the stage of training of the anesthesiologist seemed to affect risk very little. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess that was a shock. You yeah. know, when they really looked into it. And then the second thing, and I think this is an important thing, and this is what this is all about, and it was said by an anesthesiologist, quote, if we had to accept that data that there is no difference in outcome between anesthetics administered by a nurse anesthetist or anesthesiologist, the consequences would be truly extraordinary. Oh, Imagine wow. that. It would mean we have to question our own careers we would have to question the value of anesthesiology residency programs. We would have to question organization in hospitals. We would have to question and reexamine projections for manpower needs in the future. And we would have to question medical economics as they are projected right now, end of quote. And I think that says well, it all. We I
1: can oh, almost stop saying, that right wrap here. It you it up know? into one sentence. Oh my I God. Mean, that's it.
2: That's
3: 1974. Right. And it was said by the person that put this study together, oh. the, the physician. Yeah. So, and uh, here I mean, we are the still lights, having the lights, same conversation. The lights uh, went on for me when I, I found that particular quote. But the study that Nancy mentioned, the Becca Todd study, Really came from the North Carolina Medical Society. I remember yeah. this study
2: when I had to testify before the medical right. board. I pulled this study. That's
3: right, and it was done the year I graduated in 1969 mm-hmm. through 1976. So trouble followed me from the day I graduated, <laughs> right through, right through the hill. Um, but they looked at two million cases, and they defined anesthesia-related deaths by their committee where anesthesia was the sole cause of death or a major contributing factor. And what they talked about, there was one anesthetic death per 24,000 anesthetics administered. But who would want to have an anesthetic uh-huh. in North Carolina? And that was not because I had just graduated right. and participating in oh, that year, you know, okay. that we had <laughs> such an incredibly terrible mortality rate. But they used the criteria uh, to review cases, the type of anesthetic involved, where the anesthetic was administered, the type of practitioner, surgical procedure, and patient risk classification. And they classified those administering anesthesia as the CRNA alone or the MDA alone or the group working together, or whether it's a surgeon or a dentist or an unknown. I don't know who their unknowns were after 1969, (laughs) but apparently they had some. But again, they found the instance among the three major groups were very similar, although the CRNA in that study, and you may remember this Sharon, alone accounted for about half of the anesthetic-related deaths. CRNAs working alone also accounted for about half of the anesthetics administered Mm -hmm. in that study, Mm -hmm. so so that would not be surprising because in 1969, when I finished school, there were very few Mm -hmm. board-certified anesthesiologists in the state of North Carolina, and even in major medical centers. We had very few.
1: So, Sandy, Uh, hang on one second. I'll just think about this. So, they looked at the study. There were 50% CRNAs, Mm -hmm. 50% MDs, and 50% of the cases that resulted in deaths were attributable to CRNAs. Is that what you're saying?
3: No. They said that all those CRNAs alone accounted for, yeah, about half the deaths in their study. They I mean, also it's, did. It's, it's does,
1: truly representative. Does, does that not what say that it's on par with what the anesthesiologists did? Yeah. I if think, it's 50 yeah, fifty percent of deaths related to CRNAs, fifty percent the MDs.
3: Yeah, but there was a few others involved as well. Okay. Yeah. But, All right. Yeah. I just want to make sure I understood. Yeah. That. yeah. Right. Yeah. But
1: yeah. wait, right.
4: I have a question. Fifty percent of the CRNAs were working alone. The other cases were either being done by anesthesiologists, surgeons, dentists. Or CRNAs ACT. and anesthesiologists working alone. So the other 50% okay. were not being done by anesthesiologists. By just anesthesiologists. Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. So I just wanted okay. to. Okay, that's probably that. right, Nancy. But they they were overseen by MDs and in, in the or dentists or dentists
4: or or like my first job, I worked for two medical doctors. Mm-hmm. They gave anesthesia and I gave anesthesia. Yeah. Really.
1: So, wouldn't it be nice to see a study that said 50% MDs by themselves, 50% Mm -hmm. CRNAs by themselves? Mm -hmm. You know, I just wonder if... Oh,
2: I hear what you're saying. You're saying we're comparing apples to oranges here. Right, in that scenario. In that scenario. Yeah. So, um, in the
3: late 1970s, 1977, Congress mandated a study through the National Academy of Science, and the report of Congress stated there was no association of complications of anesthesia linked to the qualifications of the provider, the anesthetist, or the type of anesthesia. So they found nothing there. So that led up to the time that I was now on the board of the AANA, and I was president-elect of the ANA in 1988, and um, Jan Menino was president that particular year. And There was a study that the ASA was trying to conduct, again, a a multimillion-dollar study regarding anesthesia outcomes. And we knew nothing about it until they had done their pilot study. And I remember that we met with the president of the ASA in Atlanta. Uh, His name was Jim Ahrens. And I couldn't remember if Jeff Butler was with us or if our gun was with us, and I can't remember who else was with the ASA folks. But we had a big discussion about the study that they wanted done by the CDC. And um, after reviewing all this, it was determined that mortality and morbidity in their pilot study was very low in anesthesia. And it was too low to warrant a broader study. But I remember Jan Menino at that meeting, and she said, we are not opposed to having a study comparing outcomes with nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists. She said, but if a study is to be conducted, we must be a part of it from the ground level up. We must be a part of the design, the evaluation, and every piece of it. And how much will it cost? How much money do you want? I have the checkbook right here. We're ready to pay our way to be a part and at mm-hmm. the table with this study.
2: So do we have any dirt on where this came from? I mean, the CDC just didn't wake up one day and say, hey. No, no,
3: no. It came from the ASA. Yeah, that that's went to, what well, I'm yeah, saying. They went so the they CDC. had
2: contacts with the CDC to try and get this going. That's right. And, left, and they did left their pilot out, study. And left us out of the that's process. Right. Okay. And, just and their
3: pilot it. study showed a very low, very low, morbidity and mortality. And Jan made it very clear, and we did at this meeting, we must be equal participants in this study throughout. And so it was determined following that by the CDC that it would have to include 290 hospitals. It would cost $15 million over five years to complete this study it was like looking for the holy grail Mm -hmm. and they didn't have that kind of money to spend and so this study was put on the shelf at that point and it was never done Mm -hmm. but we were not afraid of the study because we are very proud of of the work done by our colleagues but we did not want a study that was manipulated right yes
2: right so speaking of manipulation (laughs) nancy why don't you tell us about the silver study (laughs) I remember this. This was whenever I was a a newbie in the profession, and I remember this. Well, the
4: silver study, actually, I just was looking at the dates again, but I went on the A&A board in 1992, Mm -hmm. and so we kind of dealt with this the entire time I was on the board. But the silver study was a study that examined the death rate, adverse occurrence rate, and failure rate of Medicare patients having cholecystectomies and transurethral prostatectomies. And the number of patients was 5,972. This study was really used by the ASA with what now is CMS but was HICFA then Mm -hmm. to really try to make them look really, really good and make us look really, really bad. And it was coming at a time toward the end of all of this when we were trying to remove supervision from Part A Medicare. But anyway, the study did not address CRNAs. It only addressed physician anesthesiologist. It started out as a pilot study to determine the feasibility of a bigger study. Mm-hmm. At most, the study concluded that certain facilities would benefit from having an anesthesiologist in the ICU for rescue when life-threatening events occurred. The study had nothing to do with nurse anesthetists and who should or should not supervise them directly or in a collaborative work setting.
2: But I'm sure they spun it totally differently, <laughs> the, the way I remember it. Oh, yeah,
4: but there was never, the word norsinositis, C-R-N-A, was never in anywhere in what was written. It now, was. isn't this the one where they looked at, deaths for 30 days
3: after yes. the mm-hmm. anesthetic yes. and yes. what failure to rescue yeah. what difference in yeah. the post-operative that make? period that was the study
2: yeah but what difference does it make 30 days after an it, anesthetic it, it, if you die on day 30 it's still classified as an anesthesia death that's the way they classified it Is well
3: yeah right? They were looking at post-operative outcomes. Mm-hmm. And you really do look at post-operative outcomes for 30 days in the mm-hmm. post-operative period. Okay. But it had nothing to do with so anesthesia. It, it yeah. had nothing to do with nurse It had post-operative, failure to rescue from post-operative complications. But That's what it, it was. To. Now, Nancy... They spun it differently than that. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. Then they published a study. They had to publish it at Anesthesiology because the American Journal of Medicine or the New England Journal of Medicine refused to publish it. But Nancy, what did that study show? That was the same SILVER study, Mm -hmm. but published by them later. Mm -hmm. Okay.
4: It was published initially as an abstract, and it was published, like Sandy said, in anesthesiology, because the New England Journal and the AMA AMA. Journal would not publish it. But it also became known as the Pennsylvania Study, Because it compared outcomes of patients whose anesthesia was directed by an anesthesiologist with those directed by surgeons. (laughs) And like I say, it became known as the Pennsylvania study. Now, how did they publish it? What did they name it? Do nurse anesthetists need medical direction from anesthesiologists? It was posed as a
1: question.
3: That's right. Uh That's interesting.
4: It wasn't a statement. That's a question. (laughs) Good observation. That that was the abstract, okay? (laughs) So then in July of 2000, uh, an issue of Anesthesiologist published an article with the title, Anesthesiologist Direction and Patient Outcomes. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, in January of 2001, what again was HICFA, but now CMS, published in the Federal Registry ANA's contention that the article was not relevant to the issue of physician supervision by nurse anesthetists. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, the Penn study did not compare anesthesiologists versus nurse anesthetists. The title of the study changed, as I said, between the abstract and the article that was published in 2000. The abstract was published again in the midst of our battle mm-hmm. over the opt-out. opt-out Uh, Well, over supervision, which ultimately ended up Mm -hmm. in the opt-out. But nurse anesthetists do not diagnose or treat non-anesthesia post-operative complications. They administer anesthesia. Complications related to anesthesia usually occur within 48 hours post-op, and this study addressed failure to rescue within 30 days of admission. The study evaluated post-op physician care not anesthesia care
1: so let me just make sure i understand this when a crna gives an anesthetic then you're responsible for whatever happens to that patient for 30 days so crna should be tracking those patients for 30 days no no no, no. i mean th- that's, that's kind of what way, this says that's what they're that's what saying. this says yeah. to me yep. yeah. i mean how is that even relevant in terms of any
2: well i think the, giving an the, anesthetic. Uh, the Bigger question and the bigger issue here is wait, this is fake news, you guys. Well, you know, I'm a pretty logical (laughs) guy. Yeah. And so the title doesn't reflect what the study was about. I mean,
1: and I'm being a little bit facetious. I mean, we all know what this is all about, but I'm just thinking, even at a legislative level or even at a, a smart level of people that are a lot smarter than me. You've got to bank logic in the equation at some point and say – that doesn't even make sense. Right. I know,
2: but let me a,
3: perioperatively t- is is preoperative, intraoperative, mm-hmm. and immediate postoperative for forty eight hours. Forty eight hours, right? And, and, I get and that's that. what that's what we are really responsible for, and we don't right. follow it beyond that. Right. Okay. Well, wait.
4: Let me finish.
1: Okay. okay. No. Oh my <laughs> God. Jump, jump in here, All Nancy. Right now. Let me finish. <laughs>
0: Where's
2: the water hose? to Get Be between quiet. Them? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right.
4: So anyway. The study evaluated post op physician care. It did not evaluate anesthesia mm-hmm. care. Right. Okay. And the death rate that the Silver Study reported was based on flawed results. Mm-hmm. The Pennsylvania study death rate was many times more than anesthesia related death rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. The mortality rate quoted by the ASA from the study was 2,000 times that reported in the last decade attributed to anesthesia. And to attribute a different. Why would they? You know,
2: why would they do that? I mean, what is? Well, we know that they enjoy scare tactics. Number one.
3: Well, it's the headlines. You get the headlines.
4: Fake news. Fake news. I wish we knew those terms. The moral to the research that was written in the article was that intensive cares probably would have less post-operative complications if they had an anesthesiologist in the ICU. Right. Well, you know. It didn't you, have anything to do with us. You
2: guys have been saying that <clears throat> to me for years and saying, you know, they need to be looking at their models, and right. they do have value, just Absolutely. like we have value, Absolutely they do. but their value would be priceless, and in i see capability. <laughs> well,
1: well let me just ask you have you ever had to have an anesthesiologist help you? Absolutely. Yeah, and Sandy? i've had to have yes. a yeah. CRNA. Nancy? Help me. Yes. So none of us are saying that there's not a place for no. anesthesiologists. Right. I mean no. I, you right. know just to get that across to oh, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We're not saying that I at all. I said
3: at our gun, you to say we're both better because we both exist. Absolutely. I mean oh i like that. That know, is true. At a, at a that. local level we're right. not enemies. It's at an organizational higher level when we're all protecting our turf that it gets really bad
1: sometimes.
2: uh, It's just that one side doesn't recognize the value of the other. I would challenge you to think that we do recognize their value. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because
1: you're nurses.
4: But before Sandy talks again... One thing I want to bring out though is I was on the board at the time that this was all taking place. And it really was, this article really was used.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I remember. I mean,
4: by ASA. And it did take some doing to get people to really look at what was in mm-hmm. this article. And A- ANA hired Michael Pine, mm-hmm. who Sandy is going to talk mm-hmm. about, to. Look at this article and evaluate it and come out with an opposing article about what the study really entailed. Okay. Well, let's talk about
3: Dr. Michael Pine, and he's a very, very bright man. He's a cardiologist, but well-recognized for his ability to critically analyze data to evaluate healthcare outcomes. And what he said briefly about this study, and then I'm going to talk about his study that followed it, he said, this study suggests medical direction by anesthesiologists did not improve anesthesia outcomes. The study had nothing to do with the quality of care provided by nurse anesthetists, as Nancy mentioned. And as she mentioned, it's post-operative physician care. The timing of the publication in ASA's own Journal was politically motivated. Mm-hmm. He clearly said that. It was
2: right in the middle of all right. that. And all he of said the that Hicla, CMS, and the,
3: the government found no credence in ASA's, Dr. Stillman's assertions regarding the results of the Pennsylvania study. So what did Dr. Michael Pine do? He published an article in the Journal of the AANA in April 2003, and it was entitled Surgical Mortality and Type of Anesthesia Provider. And what Dr. Pine did is he analyzed the effect of different types of anesthetic providers on death rate of Medicare patients. Mm -hmm. And he did that because this, as Nancy was saying, was during Mm opt-out. And he did this to provide the state governors with valid scientific evidence on their decisions to opt-out. And unlike the Pennsylvania study, which was one study, he studied 22 states. He had over 404 cases in his study, and the study spanned from 1995 to 1997. And again, the same old, same old. No statistically significant difference in outcomes, regardless of who the provider was. And he went on to say that the current data, and that was in the mid-1990s, on mortality was one in about 200,000 cases to one in about 300,000 cases. And, of course, when he published this study in the a Journal, it was heavily criticized mm-hmm. by uh, the opponent because it was published in the a a Journal, just like theirs was posted yes. in anesthesiology, but that didn't matter. And um, so they came out, you know, the next month and, uh, and really criticized him. So Pine came right back at him. He said... I want you to note that the death rate per 10,000, when I was looking at it, CRNAs alone was 34. The death rate with anesthesiologists alone was 45. Mm-hmm. So it was a difference of 11 between the nurse and you know And more how- in favor. Yeah. Uh
2: Uh, But you know how the anesthesiologist spun that? Do you remember? They come back and said, that's because we do more critically ill patients. And that had
3: nothing to do with it because it was equally balanced. And you know what Dr. Pine told them? And I love this. He said, ANA could claim that anesthesiologists should not be permitted to administer anesthesia unless a CRNA is present to prevent excess mortality associated with physicians attempting to engage in the practice of nursing. However, unlike ASA, ANA has enough respect for their audience to avoid Mm. making unwarranted claims. Oh, that's
2: price. Oh, he came right. he,
3: He was... He was bright as he could be. Oh, that's good. Well, now
2: we need to supervise the (laughs) anesthesiologist. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, that that
3: was his his doctor to doctor, cardiologist to uh, to anesthesiologist. That's what he told him. So Nancy, it never stops, does it? No.
0: Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim. And most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself, and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients, to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at junior at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557.
3: Who was that Abstein and Warner?
4: Abstein and Warner published an article on Anesthesia Analgesia in 1996. It was called Anesthesia Provider, Patient Outcomes and Cost. Now, this one was an article that was based on the Minnesota Department of Health study, and it concluded... There are no studies, either national in scope or Minnesota-specific, which conclusively show a difference in outcomes based on type of anesthesia provider. Well, there you have it. And so, you know,
3: it just keeps clicking along. In the early 2000s, and Nancy Opdite was still, you know, at its prime then, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In 2003 and so forth there was um, a villas study in the Archives of Surgery. So mm-hmm. let's get the attention now to surgeons about how dangerous this current system is. And um, it was entitled Outcome Analysis of Procedures Performed in Physicians' Offices and Ambulatory Centers. And uh, the study does not specifically mention CRNAs or compare the work of anesthesia providers, but it does make the unsupported assertion that office surgery may not be a safe when an anesthesiologist is not present. And this was widely, again, misrepresented by ASA and its state societies as the other study was. And then there was the famous Cromwell. Remember Cromwell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard uh, Study in health affairs. That was when Jim Walker was president. Right. That, that study uh, was released. And it was so important because of not only its findings, but also... Where it was published. Health Affairs mm-hmm. is the premier research journal in all, all of healthcare. But uh, they looked at Medicare data from 99 to 2005 in opt out and non opt out states comparing CRNA solo, MDA solo, and team practice over 481,000 hospitalizations. And to make a long story short, they found. Absolutely no, uh, no findings that uh, opting out of Medicare supervision re- resulted in increased inpatient deaths or complications. Now, this was very, very um, important here. And there was another article that was published about the same time. Well, this was a little bit later in nursing economics, cost-effectiveness of anesthesia providers, and implications of scope of practice in the Medicare population. And it just showed that the cost could be reduced, I think, about 38% if we remove restricted barriers mm-hmm. to practice that are, are present now. But this Cromwell study was was big. Unfortunately, it was funded by our aNA yes. Foundation. And so, again, mm-hmm. we were criticized uh, mm-hmm. for that.
2: How right. was it funded then? I thought it was funded by the foundation.
3: It was funded, and that's what we were criticized for. Yes, because they
2: were saying we, it was it, politically it was, it, motivated. That's right,
3: and it was biased because our foundation Right, supported. because
2: I was coming on the board, and I remember the reports, Lorraine Jordan talking about working with Cromwell on this study. Well,
4: we hired Cromwell to do these studies Right, when I was president-elect. Okay. And some of the money did come from the foundation, but some of it came from the Council on Research as well.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, it, I think the bottom line is we were criticized because we funded the study.
3: Yeah. Well, One way or another, but, wherever the money comes from. But this is an important thing that somehow we need to not forget. When we got direct reimbursement mm-hmm. under Part B Medicare <coughs> and then followed that with the opt outs. In these states, were removal of supervision. Remember that we had had federal super, we had it removed nationally until the opt outs appeared under the Bush administration. Right. When we've, we've talked about that story in depth, so I won't go back to that. But the people that were there at the time remembered that CMS said. Wait until you have opt-out states, and then we will do a study.
2: Right, and Mm -hmm. how many? They said it was like a handful. Yeah, Uh, uh, it was going to be ten percent. Right, it was just going to be a few.
3: And now we have twenty-one states that opted out, and they still haven't done the study. study. Really needs to be done Mm -hmm. by an unbiased group. Right now,
2: whenever I was president, we had that discussion with the policy analysts in the White House, but.
3: CMS said, come yep, back when you get they, so many, because we will do this study between opt-out and non-opt-out states. They never thought we would have 21. No. I can tell you, they never mm-hmm. thought that.
2: And all we needed was 5, yeah, 10%. That's
4: right. And, and we uh, got
2: 5, like, in the first year, right, easily. Right, More than that. No and so, one
4: ever really went back to CMS. So we, we never we, have,
2: we I think every single president has brought it up. You know, you always visit CMS a couple times a year when you're president. And it has been brought up, but... You never get anywhere about that, which is too bad. And I don't think it's going to ever be done.
3: Yeah, and you know, I hope I'm wrong. My view of the federal government now Uh, uh, is I don't know. (laughs) I don't really know if we can trust them either to do this study (laughs) because everybody seems to be bought these days.
2: Yeah, well, I think the bottom line is they also know that. There's not issues with anesthesia. People are not dying. We're not burying the bodies behind all the hospitals around, and mm. so it just seems like a lot of money to right mm-hmm. the good money thrown after bad.
3: Yep. So Cromwell, thing. that was a big, big thing.
2: Mm-hmm. It was a great study, mm-hmm. but you know fast forward that study is 11 years old and if you are quoting studies uh, as an academic, you're not supposed to use anything over five years. Mm-hmm. so that's why there's a lot more things that have happened since 2010 yeah, with some studies and then the Cochrane reviews came out mm-hmm. and found, which is you know the premier organization looking at all the studies they looked at all the studies and found there were no difference in providers too right so
4: nancy have there been some more studies particularly Uh, in ob ah. you know in ob yes there have been studies one of the studies was the needleman study on anesthesia provider model hospital resources and maternal outcomes and this was in 2008 the study involved more than 1.14 million ob patients in seven States. The death rate was very low it was 0.007 percent and anesthesia complications occurred in less than 1 percent of the sample. The most common model was anesthesiologist only 39 percent and then a second was CRNAs with 23 percent. The death rate was higher in the anesthesiologist only model although it was not statistically significant. Uh, multivariant analysis found no systematic differences between hospitals with anesthesiologist only versus the CRNA only model. It did conclude, at least in the area of obstetric services, there may be no gain in anesthesia services from restricting which licensed provider can provide anesthesia services. The use of CRNAs may make it possible to provide anesthesia coverage where anesthesiologists are not available because of cost and other factors pertaining to regulations and payment. And then in 2007, Simonson's study on anesthesia staffing and and anesthetic complications during cesarean deliveries. This looked at Washington state data from 1993 to 2004, and it in, involved 134,806 patients. And it was a retrospective study looking at patient Records and they analyzed 33,236 that were cured for by CRNAs only, and 101,570 patients cured for anesthesiologists only. Hospitals with CRNA only staffing had lower rates of anesthetic complications than anesthesiologists only staffing, but again, the difference was not statistically significant. It did conclude that hospitals and anesthesiology groups may safely examine other variables, such as provider availability and cost when staffing for OB. So, in other words, hospitals and anesthesiology groups could look at how to staff economically because there really was not a difference demonstrated in the type of care the patients got. And then
2: Simonson did one other study. no, that was it. That was no, it.
4: that was it. Yeah, that was a
3: very good study. Yeah. It added a great time. Sorry,
2: I zoned out for a minute because uh, I got a thought. Dan,
3: for our audience, Dan's a CRNA out in uh, Washington, Washington State, state. Uh, that did that study.
1: So can we kind of summarize kind of the state of anesthesia today based upon these studies, maybe both of you together?
3: Yeah, what do we know today based upon those studies that started in the late 70s? Nancy, you want to start off?
4: well anesthesia related accidents are infrequent Mm -hmm. and those that do occur tend to result from lack of vigilance rather than the educational level of the provider and that's summarizing going back through all of this stuff that is the usual thing that comes out from the literature is that the educational level is not the important factor it's the vigilance, <clears throat> like don't be talking on your telephone, on your cell phone when you're taking care of the patient, right. those types of things.
3: The other thing, I think, is the CDC, we have to remember, during my time, turned down the uh, anesthesia study, saying it's not worth the high cost. Because anesthesia care is a very safe, regardless of whether care is given by an anesthesiologist or CRNA. Mm -hmm. So that was in the late 80s, early 90s. But they said, we're not going there. You know, it's wasting money. Mm -hmm. We have bigger fish to fry than this.
4: And again, from 1988 to 2004, malpractice premiums decreased significantly for CRNAs. And this further demonstrated CRNAs provide safe anesthesia care. And to my knowledge, I haven't read anything about them increasing. No, they Um, just
2: keep – we had John Fecho mm -hmm. on from AANA Insurance Services, and they do continue to go down.
3: Yeah, and, you know, we've we've said over and over to date there's no study addressing anesthesia outcomes that are different, really between the providers and for the listener who would really like to take a deep dive into this the AANA has a publication for members entitled Quality of Care and Anesthesia and it's really divided into two sections section one is a summary of the pertinent quality of care studies and data that Nancy and I have tried to summarize for you today and section two is the anesthesiologist's distortion concerning the quality of care data. So mm-hmm. for the people that are really interested in this, they have a good bio and an appendix, but much of the information that we've shared on the podcast today oh, came, okay. came from this because it's a good place you can go and get all the studies in one place. In uh, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. good.
0: Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
4: Also, anesthesia seems to be an area where beyond a certain level outcome is only minimally affected by the knowledge of the provider but again it's greatly affected by factors such as attention, concentration, organization and ability to function as part of a team. Factors toward which all professionals strive but which no profession can claim a monopoly and and that comes from Jean Bloomingwright as well but you know I know anesthesia care team gets a bad rap okay right but at the same time i've worked in both without anesthesiologist and with anesthesiologist and it doesn't matter you're still a team when you're Mm -hmm. in that operating room absolutely uh you know you've got to work with the circulator the scrub nurse the surgeons and when i was working By myself, you know, without anesthesiologist, I always had a list of other physicians, particularly like medical, Mm -hmm, internal medicine, cardiologists, that I could call. So, any way you look at this, I don't care who you are or where you're practicing, you are working as a team Mm -hmm. for safe patient care. You know, you've got to get along with each other for that.
2: And, you know, I think nurses are ultimate collaborators. But Joanne Stevens used to say, she used to lobby for us in North Carolina, and she used to tell legislators, no one functions in a vacuum. That's right. No one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the exact truth. Mm
3: -hmm. And then the final thing I think that we can take home from all this is the decline in anesthesia-related mortality has resulted from almost complete elimination of administrators lacking anesthesia education mm-hmm. remember it used to be the local vet many years ago mm. it's probably over 50 years ago the vet of uh, the surgeon The farmer, as we Mm -hmm. talked about, Helen Voss in her story, and Father John would go next door and drop ether where a kid could have their (laughs) appendix taken out and things Um. like that. But we cannot discount improvements in technology and anesthetic agents. The anesthetic agents today are quick on, quick off, Mm -hmm. uh, propofol and, and everything that goes along with it. And it's really hard to look bad, I think as an anesthetist <laughs> i mean it's, it's really forgiving yeah and um well and,
2: it's like a light switch it really right. is on, off and, on and, off and
3: you look at the technology i mean how did we ever do it without pulse oximetry and end tidal co2 but you know i mean what? if there if there was one monitor and you could have only one monitor what would it be it wouldn't be the ekg no uh, Funny-looking beats. I don't know what they are anyway sometimes, you know, but, but I know what DSAT looks like. Oh, wait, she knows what AFib looks like since, I know what you know, since you've been like. ablated a couple times. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, and obviously people are receiving their care from highly trained, educated Nurse anesthetist or nurse anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. as we're calling ourselves, or uh, physician that, anesthesiologist. That she said that for you, Joe Rodriguez. Um, <laughs> and, and we, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and increase understanding of the causes of adverse events associated with anesthesia. We, we're beginning to, to look more about where sure. what's the root cause, what's the root cause right. of analysis. And it's, it's, it's almost always not lack of knowledge. It's failure to apply that knowledge at mm-hmm. that moment. Because we aren't paying attention or something like that. Well,
2: one thing I'd like for our listeners to understand, we've got to keep producing this data because studies are only good for five years uh, whenever you're quoting them. Now, how much do you think one little study costs?
1: Hundreds of of thousands of dollars.
2: At least a quarter of a million dollars. I was shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Just one little study. Yeah. And, you know, I want to put it out there. I took a lot of heat for the million-dollar check from the credentialing body. But we had studies that we needed to fund that the AANA. We didn't have the money for it. And so we... Came together to use that money and a lot of the studies that we currently have, which I think we need to get Lorraine Jordan on the podcast. This is part of the historical series looking at the foundational work, but we've had (coughs) to continue the work going forward Mm -hmm. and talk about some of those studies because we needed that money. We needed that money. No, I was
1: shocked, you know, when I was on the foundation board and they said, you know, this study is going to cost $250,000. And I thought,
2: that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, even even the books, the you know, Watchful Care Two mm-hmm. and the oh, yeah, One, well, and what they cost to produce. You I mean, know, it's why, crazy. Wh-
2: how and why it costs so much? You have to buy your data.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and yeah, I've it, learned that. And, learned and, that, and
3: so. it's not <laughs>
2: cheap to buy your data.
3: Your right. own well, data. well, I, I think before we close here, we have to be always on the alert and know that these studies that really started in the late seventies they will be back to haunt us. Absolutely. Yep. If you think of where we've gone, the first thing is we got into the pocketbook. Mm -hmm. We got direct reimbursement of Mm -hmm. Part B Medicare. And the second thing, uh, sin of all sins, our enemies would say, is we went for removal of supervision at the federal level, opt-out. And we got opt-out, and now we have 21 states that have opted-out. And then the last thing is doctoral education for entry for all CRNAs by 2025. So we got the money We've got the opt-out, and everybody's going to be a doctor Mm -hmm. after 2025. Mm -hmm. You can expect more and more challenges and be ready for those challenges because what is really needed by our competitor is a valid study that shows there's a difference in outcome based upon provider, and they have more education, so they are smarter, and they have better outcomes. That is not there, never has been there, I think never will be there. But that's what they really need, mm-hmm. and they will look for it again. Oh, Have well, no fear. And,
1: and, Sandy, as we summarize, you know, I mean, not that everybody doesn't know this, but, you know, I look through this and say this is all about money. I mean, you've gotten into the pocketbook. When you get into mm-hmm. the pocketbook, and, I mean, you know, to these physicians' credit, I mean, they went to school. they've They've done the things they need to do. They've paid their debt off or they're in debt. Um, so basically, and, and
3: didn't Doctor Forrest say that in 1977 exactly. in so Same many thing. words? Same thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and
1: you know what? They're going to fight to keep their profession, their Absolutely. lifestyle. And I, I can't say as I no, blame them. I,
2: do, I, I don't do either. Exactly what they're put,
3: doing. Put your feet in their shoes, right? Uh-huh. So,
1: and that's what ultimately I think, if you boil it down mm-hmm. to the human level, that's what all this is about.
3: Yeah, it
4: is. It is. But let me just, let me just say one thing, or ask a question. And I do understand this is all financially motivated. I know that. But have you really seen any drastic changes in anesthesia practice? You mean at the bedside? I mean, have you seen a real decrease? In hospitals that are using the anesthesia care team versus the hospitals that are using CRNAs only. In terms of Our morbidity and mortality. I'm talking about Just in in terms, in, terms in, in terms of well, volume
1: you know, what, of case.
2: Uh, no, am I am I hearing you say? Uh, are we seeing anesthesia models change? change are you? Yes, yeah. yes, I do believe we are seeing it. Look at Atrium,
4: what they did. They went in. Well, I mean, and, I'm, but and I'm talking about in a, in a manner that really has. Far-reaching. Far-reaching, A-reaching. yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but it's coming. It is coming.
1: It's coming. When you, I, I don't know whether you saw the, the, the thing this morning on Medicare, but, you know, Medicare is now going to go after drug costs because they published a study in the last couple of weeks that said they're going to be broke in 2026. So when you get the government pushing down and pushing down uh-huh. and they start to chop— What do you think is going to happen here? I mean, the writing is on the wall with Medicare as a payer and probably going to be more of that in the future. Mm -hmm. What are you going to use? The model that will show you that the the mortality rate between a CRNA and MD is virtually the same. And in hospitals, you know, I I truly believe (laughs) that ultimately you're going to have cases ASA 4s and 5s and you'll have an MD involved and everything else. It'll be straight CRNA. I mean, that's Jeremy's opinion. Sandy's looking at me like maybe I'm crazy no. and probably <laughs> am but I think no. ultimately maybe that's a model that could work and they were, they're willing to pay more for that but why pay more for you know a case yeah. where it's bread and butter and you can do it in your sleep
3: well but the future I, I, future is clearly quality cost and access absolutely quality cost and access yes. and of those three things crnas are the solution not mm-hmm. the problem to all three yes. Yes. we're in rural america we're in urban you know quality is no difference uh, accessible and uh, cost we're it's much cheaper to, to educate and much mm-hmm. cheaper to employ yeah
1: mm-hmm. ohio just put out a thing on facebook i don't know whether you guys saw it and it, it showed the the care team model the model with AAs and the model with CRNA only, and it has the breakdown of costs. I wish I had it with me today. I don't. But they just put that out, and it was pretty interesting to see yeah, the difference. Remember
3: that article that I talked in another podcast about, by Pralip on the future of anesthesiologists? Mm-hmm. Dr. Richard Prelip is an mm-hmm. anesthesiologist. It was a very good article written by him and Cohen, I think, as I recall. But there was a Hugh Reinhardt who was an economist that was quoted in that article. And he said the... Nurses are like insurgents. They will keep coming back. (laughs) And he went on to say that that the cost and quality and access, basically, he didn't say it exactly that way, but it's in our favor.
1: He was a Princeton
3: Princeton economist. Thank (laughs)
4: you, Bethany Hollong. But still, I didn't make my point that I was trying to make. The research and the things that we have done have brought forward what we can do mm-hmm. without an anesthesiologist. But if when we see real major change in models, yeah. it's going to be driven by Medicare and yes. cost. It's right. not because of all the fighting that's going on no. between you are right. us. No. And that was the point I was trying yeah. to that's a, that. great point. That that is that's a great point. That's a really point. good way to mm-hmm. summarize mm-hmm. this, I think. Yeah. I think
1: that's a really good. good point. Really, really good yeah well you know i think we could kind of continue and talk about this forever because you know ultimately in in my world what it boils down to and and you guys are the most knowledgeable out there that i know on all this and but great stuff thank Mm -hmm. you sandy thank you nancy as always amazing you guys do do great work on this and Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce. If
1: you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, what are some ways they can help us out?
2: Like us, subscribe yeah. to us, but most importantly, please leave us a review, because it pushes us up in the algorithm and that's higher right. up. We
1: just figured that out because you know we're not techies. Yeah, but, that's um, right. The people, anybody that watched our first Facebook live <laughs> oh figured God, out that God, we were not techies. Yeah, we put it on yeah.
2: sideways. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I, I saw that and I was like, oh gosh. Oh uh, well, yeah. they'll
2: forgive us for uh, it. And
1: I hope my my daughter Lauren didn't see that because she would make fun of me forever for that. So
2: oh, she's gonna make fun of me <laughs> you anyway. You're her
1: daddy. Um, all right. So until next time,
2: it's a wrap.
0: As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living, by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families.